Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today is a very special episode for me with my business coach, Jordan Montgomery. Jordan has an absolutely fascinating story of having success, going through a downfall, but then rising to the top. Tune in and listen to his awesome story. Thanks so much, Jordan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I am honored to have Mr. Jordan Montgomery on. Uh, Jordan has a fascinating story, and you guys are going to hear some of his energy today, but uh, from small town Iowa to gain the opportunity to speak across the country now, uh, he, he's doing amazing things with Montgomery Companies. The things that I'll say about Jordan, one, the guy loves his Iowa Hawkeyes, so don't, don't ever talk trash about that. Two, he loves personal development, but three, and probably most importantly, he loves his three daughters and his wife the most. And he has a uh, phrase that you'll probably hear at least once today. And it is, I would rather be a family man with a business than a businessman with a family. And so that's one of many reasons I respect him, but Jordan, thanks so much for being on today. Thanks for having me, man. This is a ton of fun. This is uh, seriously, it's, it's always fun to be on a podcast. It's more fun when you get to do it with somebody you care about, you know, and somebody yes, uh, is a good friend so yeah man let, let's let's have some good conversation I'm honored that you brought me on I love it so just for people that may be listening to the first time if you're a returner you already know this but uh, the premise is you know those small moments in your life that when they're happening you're not exactly sure the uh, I guess the pivot or the direction it's going to send you but all of a sudden as you look back you can see hey that was the moment. That was the trajectory that I needed to go on to get into this new phase or this new sector of life. And so, Jordan, just kind of getting started with you, you know, obviously a lot of the things that we end up doing with our life uh, can start at a younger age. And so in high school, you were quite the football star. Uh, I mean, you know, third, third in school uh, history and rushing yards and touchdowns. But talk a little bit about some of the, you know, things that were instilled in you at a young age that ended up helping you in the professional career. Well, when you go to a really small school in rural Iowa, it's easy to climb up the chart. So <laughs> what you don't know is there, you know, there's like 25 guys on every, every team. That's about it. So um, anyway, I, you know, yeah, man, I, I'm just fortunate. I'm fortunate uh, that I've been surrounded by good people over the course of my childhood and my adult life. Um, you know, when I think about moments, I think about the moment that I came to faith. And, uh, you know, that was truly the most important moment in my life yeah. because it changed my life and it, it eternally changed my, my life and altered the direction of my life. And so, you know, I'm thankful to have good people around me. I'm thankful to know Jesus, who is my savior. I know not everyone uh, who is listening is a person of faith, but that's my truth. That's my story. And um, I'm just unfortunate for relationships that I have with the people like you, you know, and I remember the moment that I met Phil Friedrich. I still remember that, man. Uh, I remember it vividly, like in Nebraska, I'm speaking to Mike Tuz's office, and I still remember an interaction with you, young pup, sales guy, new to the financial planning career. I remember you had this big smile and great energy, and you asked a couple of questions about, I think, activity and early productivity. And then I, I remember another moment with you, maybe five years ago, four or five years ago in Milwaukee, and you were walking down a sidewalk with Dan Ferguson, and we bumped into each other. And it had been a little time since we had talked, but I just remember thinking, I like this guy. He's got good energy. 
you know, he's others focused. He asks great questions. And I just remember you being very intentional. And it's interesting, you know, you bring up this idea of moments, right? One of the things that we often say is we're always one moment away from a completely different life. And I believe that we're always one moment away from a different life. We're a moment away from a different business. We're a moment away from a different family. Life is about moments. So I love this idea of who knew, right? Uh, Awesome, awesome conversation and honored to, to again, have this time with you, man. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. And we'll we'll get to one of the other moments a little bit later on down the, down the road where you and I get to interact again. So, you know, for you, you decide from high school to attend university of Iowa, right? That's right. And while you're there, do you get started uh, with a financial planning firm right away? Or how does that kind of come about in your, uh, your story? Yeah, I wish that was the story. (laughs) I sold uh, everything that you could sell, basically, except for like legal things. I didn't do that. (laughs) But I sold clothes. I sold cell phones. I sold gym memberships. I actually had a job. I was 19 years old and I threw garbage. Like I was a, I was a garbage man. Yeah. I thought I was going to mow lawns in the parks department. The parks department was full. So the city supervisor said, well, you can work in the refuse department. At 19 years old, I didn't connect the word refuse with garbage. So I just said, yes. Yeah. The next thing you know, I'm hanging off the back of a garbage truck, you know, and I'm studying for my CDL. It's a crazy summer. But it exposed me to new people, new environments, new learning. And it mm. really developed an awareness in me yeah. that I so desperately needed as a kid that grew up with a you know, pretty good background. Um, and then I also had other jobs you know, in sales that really taught me the power of interpersonal communication and building relationships and building trust and rapport. Uh, I once, Phil, and I think you might know this, I sold mattresses out of a warehouse. And people always like, this sounds shady when I say it, but I'm just gonna, this is just, it's the truth, right? Um, and it, it wasn't shady. So there's nothing like inside the mattress. Okay, so Everybody <laughs> needs to know that. But we would get these trucks from Chicago. They would bring in these mattresses and the mattresses were made out of recycled like coil springs. So they're literally springs from other mattresses. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Disclose that people knew that, but they were like these heavily discounted mattresses. So the, the trucks would come in at 5 a.m. They roll into North Liberty, Iowa. I would round up a bunch of my college buddies. Nobody wanted to go unload these trucks at 5 a.m., but we were all broke. And I would convince my buddies in the dead of winter to go unload these trucks at 5 a.m. And the way the math worked out, I could pay each guy $17 per load. So they worked for like two hours, dead of winter, from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. They get 17 bucks. Then we go spend it on breakfast. And somehow I got people to say yes to that. But <laughs> The craziest part is what I didn't know is I was building my future, yes. unloading mattresses on the back of a truck at 5 a.m. in the dead of winter when I was 19 years old. And I can connect those dots today. I didn't then. I think so many times when we're in a moment, when we're in a season, or we're doing little things that we don't want to do, we forget that we're being prepared for something bigger. Yes. And I needed that job. I needed 5 a.m. in the dead of winter and 17 bucks to my buddies that we spent on breakfast. I needed the experience throwing garbage off the back of a truck 
all of those little things developed something in me that I would use later in life in a financial planning career and now in a career where I do speaking and consulting and get to work with great people like you. So that's really part of the story um, in leading up to what I, what I do today. So I want to break that down though. Was there growing up, was there anything entrepreneurial in you before that? I mean, because it's one thing for you to say, Hey, I'm willing to get my butt up at 5.00 AM and go do this. It's another thing to convince, you know, five buddies to go do that with you too. You have to have some influence to be able to do that. Well, I think like you, I had really good examples from a young age. More is caught than taught. Yeah. And I know that your parents set a great example for you. My parents set a great example for me. Um, not maybe in every area of life, right? Like they had their shortcomings. But the one thing they did is they worked really hard. Yeah. And my dad was an entrepreneur. And I got to watch my dad go to work every day and give it his all. And I also paid attention to the fact that my dad was present for every big moment in my life. That's huge. And I was so thankful for that. And I just remember growing up, like I knew if I had a game, my dad was going to be in the stands. Yeah. If I was going to receive an award, my dad was going to be in the front row. If I had a performance, my dad was going to catch the whole thing. And, um, yeah, it makes me, it makes me emotional to talk about it because, um, because he, he was just so present in my life and, and he was present because he was entrepreneurial and because he worked hard to create a framework where he could serve the people that he loved the most. And so that's, that's what I learned um, at a really young age that really stirred in me the desire to be an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Well, the one thing just for everyone listening Jordan's a absolute stud at that himself. So uh, yeah, he definitely uh, caught that piece because uh, yeah, he's quite the family man. So, so learning that in college, you start once again, gaining, I guess, influence, right? Learning how to, you know, impact people. And so that then is a lesson that you can carry over into the financial planning world. And so, you know, you start with running your own personal practice, but then you get quite an accolade. And that is, you are the youngest managing director. So managing director is someone that runs their own office in the company history, and it's a Fortune 100 company, so no small feat. Talk a little bit about, you know, some of the people and events that led to that opportunity and you being there. Well, I think part of it was uh, there was there was an issue and there was a problem and issues and problems create opportunity. So I don't know that it was anything that I did. It was um, the organization needed a leader, right? There was an issue. We, there was a leadership issue, yep. a problem, and that problem created an opportunity. And so I look back now and I, and I realize, okay, we didn't maybe have the culture. Uh, we didn't have the vibrant environment that I would have liked to have had at the time. But because of that, I had an opportunity to lead. So to someone listening, maybe you're not in the season that you want to be in, or you're not in the culture or the organization that's vibrant. You don't have all these amazing people around you. Well, that oftentimes creates an opportunity to lead. Yeah. So I got to lead by default, kind of like the, the high school sports story. <laughs> um, I was like, you know, maybe the, 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 the least of the, of the least, right? I, I don't know. I, I had, um, I suppose, enough ability 
that they threw me into the, into the fire. And so at 25, I began running this office. I learned a lot about leadership, made a lot of mistakes. Um, and through experience and through unwise decisions, I, I suppose I gained wisdom over time and we had some success, but, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a crazy journey at 25 years old to have that role. And I look back now at some of the decisions I made and some of the long days that we worked, I don't know how we did it, but it, but it was a lot of fun for sure. It was, it was a ton of fun. Yes. Now, as you're in this role, you meet a few great people and you guys form this group. Uh, which is a very uh, prestigious group at this point with all the accolades you individuals have. And it's called the Gray Geese, right? The Gray, the Gray Geese. So talk a little bit about the impact and the role that, you know, that group of people has had. I mean, you know, you say this time and time again, and many people have heard it, you know, where we're going is going to be, you know, indicative of the people that we're surrounding ourselves with. And so talk a little bit of how, you know, that's impacted you. Well, I think the old adage is you become like the people that you surround yourself with the most, mm-hmm. you know, and our, our mental game is driven by our environmental game, yeah. right? So our environmental game drives everything in our life. It's the people, places, and things that you habitually associate with. So for me, that group has done a lot in shaping my mindset and shaping my philosophies. And ultimately it's created a lot of opportunity. So Calvin Graybach-Keel, Adam Cox, Matt Revisavich, Michael Brownlow, and Josh Kosnick are some of my closest friends in life. And if there's anything that they've done for me, Phil, it's they've believed in me. Mm. And I want to be really clear, like with that group, like a lot of groups where people really believe in you, they haven't always accepted me. Yeah. And that, that was a real gift, you know, because I think when we think about friendships, we think about acceptance, right? We think about like warm, fuzzy, I love you. I always got your back friendships. Uh, They have my back and they do love me, but they were really the first group of people to truly challenge me. Mm. And I remember um, sharing my vision. So I'm the youngest of the group. So I was the last to get married, last to have kids. Like I've always been sort of the immature pup of the group. (laughs) And so they sort of adopted me into the, into the family, into the gray geese family. And um, I showed up to my first study group, ready to give my annual report. So you kind of do a look back and then you do a look forward, right? You talk about all the things you want to accomplish. Well, I didn't realize this and I was one of the first to go. Yeah. But the group talks about faith, family, personal, you know, fitness, finance. Yeah. Uh, work is like supposed to be one slice of the pie. Well, I made it the entire pie. <laughs> which was indicative of my life at the time. Work yeah. was an idol in my life. It controlled my life. My identity was in my work. And so this is a microcosm of a bigger issue. But I remember I shared my report and Josh Kosnick looks right at me and he says, I was really proud. I thought I just killed it, you know? <laughs> and he looks right at me and he goes, so what else? And I remember thinking, I don't have anything else. Like, what do you mean? This is it. Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, I'm not going to accept that. And I remember being irritated at the time. I was frustrated. And then he said this sort of indirectly. He said, "Um, I know there's more inside of you. Mm. And I'm not going to accept this current version of who you are. Because you're more gifted and there's more to you and there's more in you than what you just shared. And he said, next time, make sure your report has more to it than that. 
And that was all he said. But what he was really saying to me is, um, dude, you have to be a more authentic yeah. version of you. And you gave us like 5% of who you actually are. And that's not okay. So I think of all the things that I've learned from that group, Phil, I've learned to be more real, more authentic, more abundant, more comprehensive, and to think deeper about the meaning and purpose of life, which I know is something that you and I get to talk about often. So yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I appreciate you bringing up that group because they're, it's a special group of people that means a lot to me. So uh, shout out to the great geese. Absolutely. Now, <clears throat> once again, we're riding high, worse going well, uh, running your district. And then life kind of gets turned upside down. And, and for a season of time, you say, how is this possible? What's next? Would you talk a little bit about just figuring your way out after things change for a person? And, you know, you, you go from being what you feel like is the highest highs to I'm sure in the moment you felt like, wow, it's the lowest of lows. Yeah. So talk about the power of a moment, right? Yeah. Uh, we like to talk about the good moments in life. Uh, the bad moments are where a lot of learning happens. It's where... Mm -hmm. Actually, when you think about the, the pivots in your life or the major changes of direction, they typically come from valley moments. Absolutely. You know, not mountaintop moments. Yep. And, and we have our greatest learning, I believe, in, in the valley. So mm -hmm. I'm 27 years old. I felt like at the time I was in the penthouse. I really wasn't, right? Like my yeah. bank account was full. My soul was empty. Yeah. Uh, my, you know, bravado was high. My confidence was low. Right. So I was sort of living this life where I was making a lot of money. My identity was in my work. I was going 110 miles per hour. And what happened was my staff member, an assistant of mine, took a test that she was not supposed to take. It was an internal continuing ed test. I did not report that. It got found out later. And as a result, I lost my job. Yep. So, um, you know, and, and it's funny because in the moment, back to that moment, one of the things that I failed to do is I, I just couldn't own what mm. had happened. Yeah. You know, I felt like it was really unfair. It was unjust. Um, it wasn't really all my fault. I had all these excuses, right? Yeah. And um, it's almost like, Phil, like God didn't allow me to move forward until I really owned what had happened. Yeah. You know, and I love what Brene Brown says about those types of moments. She says, if you deny the story, it defines you. If you own the story, you can write a brand new ending. Wow. So someone listening has, has something going on in their life that maybe they haven't fully owned. Mm -hmm. right? Maybe you kind of owned it. Maybe you've sort of owned it, but you haven't fully owned it. And so for me, like I would go around saying stuff like, well, I got let go or I had a falling out or I took a different path. Um, okay. That's not what happened. Yeah. What happened was I got fired. Like, that's what happened. And there's, there's power in the truth, right? There's power yeah. in your story. Like we all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's like, Hey, here's what happened. This is my story. This is my shortfall. Like, I'm just going to tell you who I am and what I did and, and, and then when I could, when I did that, then it was amazing how my relationships changed. Um, I felt like doors opened. Yeah. You know, um, grace is a real thing, right? From other yep. people, the good Lord above. And grace was extended and my world started to really evolve and change. But yes. um, for sure, it was a defining moment in my life. And God set me back on my feet. I was without a job for about a month. 
Um, the company took me back. I had a good, good mentor by the name of Tim Bohannon, who sort of took me in and mentored me. So it all worked out, you know, yep. as we face hardship, there's, there's great people to meet us on our path and God restored and redeemed, but there was a season where it was pretty dark and empty. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I want to go to a moment on, you know, a backyard back patio and you're, you're on a phone call with a guy named Ben Newman. Uh, and that's someone you had met back in 2010. And I just want to say this, no one would know this, but uh, Jordan had written down on a note in 2010 that I want to do work with Ben Newman. Now, it may, it may have not been uh, super uh, detailed, but he knew that was something he wanted to do. And at that time, he probably thought it meant one thing, but soon he would realize it might have meant a completely different thing. Yeah, man, another defining moment. Uh big moment in my journey. So uh, 2010, I wrote that on a note. I went to one of Ben's seminars in St. Louis, Missouri, and I didn't know what it meant. I just said, I want to do work with you, you know, at some point in the future. And it ended up meaning something very different. But uh, what it ended up meaning was we had this powerful conversation. Um, I was on my back deck. It was a Friday afternoon. It's in shorts and a t-shirt. And I called Ben and it wasn't even like, it wasn't even a conversation, Phil, that I had like this grand plan for, it, you know? Yeah. I just shared my heart with Ben and I said, Hey, I feel like I'm called to do some of the work that you're doing. And at the time I was doing it on the side. So I had this sort of coaching business, but I still have my financial planning business. Mm -hmm. And Ben said, well, here's what you need to do. And if you do these things, you could do this full time. And I think you could make whatever decision you want to make with your financial planning business, but here's how you grow this coaching business. Yeah. And it was these, like, it was stupid, simple steps. So I did it. And within about 90 days, we had replaced the revenue from our financial planning business through our coaching business. And again, God opened doors, provided people on my path, great people like you who said yes to us in the early stages, yep. who allowed us to build what we have today. And um, it was a defining moment. Most of the time, here's what's crazy. When you experience a defining moment, you don't know that it's a defining moment. You know? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. You don't know that, but it is. And it's so it's important to recount, like to go back, which is part of this conversation, right? To go back over the course of your life and say, hey, what were the defining moments? So yeah, yeah man, uh, praise God for Ben and that conversation in my life that definitely ended up being a defining moment. Absolutely. I just want everyone to hear all of Jordan's success revolved around Phil Friedrich saying yes to starting coaching with him. So I just want everyone to know that Montgomery companies could send me a package. No. So hey, there's truth to that, man. I'm serious. You got, you got to have some crazy people that say yes to you in the early stages of something new. That's right. Or one of those crazy people that said <laughs> yes. man. So I forever, forever grateful for that. <laughs> oh, so as you're starting to work and you're in the coaching space and doing a little speaking in addition, but it's mostly coaching to start some speaking, um, <clears throat> you, you meet a, a lady and, uh, and it becomes very important in January the 6th, 2018 becomes a very pivotal moment in your life of getting the opportunity to be a, a dad and a husband. And so talk a little bit about that. I mean, and just the impact that that's played not only on your business, but uh, mostly on you as a person. Yeah, I mean, so the story is I, I met Ashley, who's my now wife, and she had two children from a previous marriage and she had gone through a rough divorce. I was living a bachelor life. <laughs> when I say bachelor, I mean, I was a bachelor. Like, you know, everything yep. that you think about, you know, it's typical bachelor stereotypes, that was me. 
Yeah. Um, staying up too late, not eating the right food, messy house. That was me. She was a very organized, you know, responsible <laughs> mature adult. And, um, you know, what's interesting about when Ashley and I met is I had gone through some things in one vein of my life that prepared me for a separate vein of a future life. Yeah. In other words, what I had gone through professionally was preparing me for what I was about to experience personally. Yes. And I think sometimes when we go through something, we want God to redeem or restore to us what was lost in that same vein. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes it's restored to us and redeemed to us in a separate vein. Yes. And um, I kept asking God, okay, God, you know, what are you going to restore? What are you going to redeem? All of these things to me professionally. And what I didn't realize is he had prepared a future for me, a future family, two daughters. We now have three, Ashley and I have one on our own. And then I adopted Audrey and Claire, who are our two oldest. Yeah. But um, there is no way, and Ashley and I talk about this often, there's no way I could have stepped into that situation if I hadn't gone through loss, heartache, adversity, and my professional life. Mm -hmm. Because in that process, I dealt with uh, inner pride. I dealt with ego. Yeah. I dealt with all of my selfish ambitions. And it doesn't mean that I was freed from that. I still battle that, right? I'm still a human who battles those things. But I dealt with them such that I could put myself in a position to lead and to have an open mind. And, um, and I'm, and I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful that God knew my story well enough to know that I needed to go through that. And I don't think God caused it, but I think he allowed it to happen. Mm -hmm. So to, to someone listening, that's maybe going through something. Um, don't miss the work that God's doing in your life because yeah. brokenness is a powerful position. And when you're ready to receive and learn not just from the good Lord above, but from people around you, that's really powerful. Yep. He's doing, he's doing something in you and through you, and he's preparing you for something special. And, um, oftentimes it's something different than what we expect. So, uh, I appreciate that, that question, Phil. Absolutely. So for sake of time, Jordan, uh, not only does speaking coaching, he's actually started doing sports performance coaching, uh, with Central Arkansas's football team. And I mean, he gets to take off from a small town Iowa in a private plane and land in, uh, in Arkansas and do that each week. But the uh, neat accolade that he just received um, in the January of 2021 is being ranked a top 20 entrepreneur by Yahoo Finance, which, you know, when you look at how quickly that came, right? I mean, Man, it, don't get me wrong. You've been busting your tail, but wow, that is a fast rise to such a prestigious accolade. And I think that just says a lot about, you know, you, your team and everything you guys are doing and how many people you're impacting. Well, I appreciate that, Phil. And I, and I think, um, you know, for, for me and for us, and I, and I, I say this for both, for both Ashley and I, um, I think we have to be really careful with how we let those things affect our identity. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, back to the, the story, I think, and what I went through, you, you start to realize that, man, if you live for their applause, you, you, you just die by the criticism. Yes. Right. And so I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it, it, it always feels good to be recognized. And at the same time, I'm still the same dude throwing garbage 
unloading mattresses. You know, I'm from small town, Iowa, uh, 2.5 GPA from the university of Iowa. Like it, you're still the same guy, you know? And, and if anything, um, those awards mean less to me than they used to. Yep. And, um, and I, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, you know, I'm thankful that God's helped me with my perspective on what life's all about. So, yes. So yeah, man. And I I just want to say this publicly while we're hanging out together, like I so value the friendship that we share because every time we talk, we're going to talk about like, we did this live today, but this isn't all that different from the conversations you and I have on a pretty consistent basis Yep. about faith and family and moments. And, and, and it's just, this is special, man. So I, I just appreciate the friendship that we share and the life that we get to live together. Well, thank you. And so I, that's very kind, man. I appreciate that. And last question. And once again, I'll let you answer it in the amount of time you've got allotted, but there's this idea and Ed Milet talks about it, it's blissful dissatisfaction. And it's that idea that a lot of people, the first time they hit their goal, they plateau and they never get to overcome that because they plateaued. Then there's the complete opposite end of the spectrum of people that are consistently trying to get to the next thing and they never take time to recognize that they've hit some of those goals along the way. So for you, how have you balanced that of being happy, satisfied on accomplishing goals, but still striving for more? That's a big question. I love that question. Uh, you know, I, I think about this idea of being um, always grateful, but equally dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I hope that I'm always those two things. I hope I'm always grateful and I hope I'm equally dissatisfied. And so I have like this image in my head of uh, flying a plane, you know, and you and I have talked about this before, I believe, but I'm flying a plane and I'm the pilot of my plane. And I get to fly that thing as fast or as slow as I want to fly it. And the reality is if I decide to fly it a little bit slower, I'll get to my destination a little bit later, which isn't by itself that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But where my mind goes is, is all the passengers that are on the plane, you know, and those passengers, those are people that have poured into me. Those, those are my mentors. It's my parents you know, it's my brother, it's my children, it's my wife, it's my, my closest friends, it's people like you. Um, it's, it's anyone who I have the privilege of impacting, associating with, leading in any capacity. Yep. And, and honoring, right? And, um, and the reality is, if I decide to fly the plane slower, those people might miss a connecting flight. Mm. So I'll get to my destination a little bit later, which again, by itself isn't a big deal. But the problem is there's passengers who might miss their connecting flight. And that's, that's something, that thought, that imagery for me creates a sense of urgency. Love it. You know, I want to use the gifts that God gave me to create an impact on this world, uh, to make his name, to make his name known. And, um, I just want to make sure that when it's all said and done, the gas is out of the tank, you know, that I, that I used it up and I'm not going to be perfect. uh, But, but I want to know at the end of the day that I use my gifts for the right reasons to impact other people and to glorify the Lord. So um, yeah, man, big, big question. And I love that idea of blissful dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. That's right. Yep. I love that. I love that. Yeah, man. That's a great question. Awesome. Well, as promised, the guy's fascinating. Uh, Jordan, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for being on, and uh, we'll look forward to following up soon.
Hey, thanks for being you, dude. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for this podcast. Thanks for the work that you're putting out, the conversations that you're having that are impacting others. Um, want you to want to encourage you to continue to do this work. Thanks, my man. Wow, Jordan crushed it. He tells us all about how he has overcome uh, different obstacles in his route to success. And once again, just remember that whatever it is you're focused on is where your attention is going to go. And Jordan does a great job of always being focused on the things that are most important to him, not losing sight of those things and staying grounded. Thanks so much. Enjoy the episodes and we'll look forward to chatting with you again on Friday. Have a great one, everybody.